and on this month's TJ podcast, Joe and I discuss some of the content from TJ in the past few weeks. Judy Parfit from Vitality drops in to talk about their healthy hybrid working report and how HR and business leaders can transition successfully to hybrid working, not just for tomorrow, but for the future too. And Kate and I discuss a couple of mergers and acquisitions, and I've also got some news for everybody. Hi, everyone. This is the TJ podcast for July. I'm John Kennard, editor of TJ. You know where we start. Let's pop over to talk to Kate. This week, this week, this month, for the first time in maybe a while, it's a fairly packed news section, I'd say, Kate Graham. There seems to be a lot going on, considering it's the summer holidays, yeah. Yeah. How are you, though? How's, uh, how's, life, in, how's life in Unleash? How's life in Wales? It. Well, it's very hot in Wales at the moment, which you will never hear me complain about. Um, and I can't complain about life at Unleash either. It's, um, it's great. It's really busy. It's, you know, we're looking at, um, you know, kind of consolidating the digital content offering. We've got all sorts of interesting things happening there. I'm just about to kick off um, some new research um following on from last year's uh, project that they did around why hr projects fail uh which produced some interesting data this year we're going to be looking at why they succeed so what does it take what is the is there a kind of winning formula that you have um beyond just the tech um what do you need in terms of your hr team your organizational culture those kind of things but a little birdie tells me that uh, you might soon know what it's like to be uh, living at Unleash. Well, yes. Um, maybe this is kind of our first unofficial news item. Well, official news item uh, is that I'm leaving TJ um, after just about four and a half years. I started in February 2017, and uh, I'm going to Unleash to to with, with you uh, to work on the content over there. So I'm very excited. Um, I've had a brilliant time at TJ and I think we've done some good work, not least this podcast, which has always been one of the most enjoyable parts of uh, everything that I do. And um, yeah, a, a low key announcement ish, although I'll be uh, mentioning it in the newsletter and LinkedIn and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I don't want to take, I don't want TJ fans to suddenly be cross with me for, uh, for poaching you, but obviously I made the introduction and, and the rest took care of itself. But um, I think you've done an amazing job at TJ and things like this podcast are kind of testament to, you know, your innovation and your efforts and your commitment to the industry and to the readers. And, um, you know, they'll definitely be, be sorry to see you go but from a selfish point of view uh, for, from an unleash audience point of view i think it's very exciting so yay oh thanks yeah i mean it's been it has been a really good um almost half decade and um we've done some good work i think and uh but you did make the introduction and after uh, numerous sort of zoom chats and interviews and various other bits of exercise and things uh i i've been offered the position and uh i'm around for a while yet though i think at the moment i'm sort of starting later in the summer towards the beginning of the autumn actually but um that's how it stands at the moment but yeah very excited the podcast will be uh carrying on going for the moment though i think oh well that's good news and you know you leave a you leave a great legacy behind you and um and big shoes to fill so you know, look forward to seeing who who takes the reins on after you. Yes, um, 
more on that elsewhere perhaps uh so yeah on to the second story we've, we've got a couple of acquisition stories quite interesting and also one fundraising story as well let's start with capita the professional services behemoth mm. um they signed a strategic partnership and become a shareholder at the same time of uh filtered so this is i don't know it, it seems like a fairly good fit or do you think it's a bit kind of fishing in the dark kate well, Capita acquired Brightwave. Uh, I can't actually remember how long ago that was. It's a good couple of years. Um, and learning has always been part of, yes, like you say, they're, they're, they're a behemoth, you know, but part of their many different activities. Um, and I suppose that this speaks to their need to modernize and innovate what they're doing and rather than build it themselves they've looked around for somebody good and innovative and you know that fits in with the rest of their portfolio you know to work with so I think it it was it surprised me but then actually when you sit and think about it I can see a lot of sense in it as well. So I think very excited for for Mark and, and the guys at Filtered. You know, they are a, a great team. They've done a lot in a short space of time. You know, know them well, respect what they do. And, um, you know, we'll be excited to see how they can work with some of Capita's, you know, big enterprise customers. Yeah, I mean, I, I think um, Capita have had a bit of a weird time of it over the last few years um they've changed their focus quite a few times and personnel as well but maybe i don't, I don't know mergers and acquisitions is it's always interesting in in terms of how things are consolidating and which companies are buying what and uh, although they are a little bit on the kind of the more you know the financial side of things but it also makes me feel like things are sort of back to normal in a way that these kind of things are happening. Um, I don't know. That sounds a bit weird. But, no, um, I know what you mean, though. There's more certainty. I mean, I do remember when, you know, the pandemic, just before the pandemic hit, we had several um, acquisitions. You know, Cornerstone bought Saba, and um, not long before that, the Ultimate Software and Kronos merger happened. And, you know, it, then we went straight into the pandemic, and it was a case that people didn't know what was going to happen. And there was so much uncertainty. But I think one thing that we've seen in the last 18 months is that, you know, organisations need these different tech solutions now more than ever. This is not a flash in the pan. We're not just going to go straight back into the office. You know, we've had a lot of debate about that. So there is more certainty in the market now around the longevity and the need for these solutions and for organizations to keep investing in this tech for their people as they you know head into whatever the hybrid workplace looks like and i think when there's money sloshing around like this that kind of underpins that certainty really yeah um on to another acquisition <clears throat> slightly smaller scale but a bit more close to tj's home and that's um EY have acquired Lane 4, Leadership Consultancy, yeah. um, set up by Adrian Morehouse, the Olympics from returned uh, leadership uh, consultant. So that's, 
it's Adrian, sorry to, to give it context adrian has written two or three pieces for us and uh, i've been to a couple of their events pre-pandemic of course um yeah so it's another one where it's it's obviously great news for lane four to to be working with a bigger company well hopefully great news and and um what do you think about that one kate again i mean leadership is always one of these top areas for investment and uh, the uh, I think it just kind of underpins again the kind of the commitment to learning and the investment in that space always leadership you know always has a kind of big budgets compared with a lot of other aspects of, of learning and development so it, it obviously speaks to the opportunity that sits there for EY um, and again underpins the importance of learning and development in the future of work yeah um and then the, the last story is something that you mentioned in fact which was about go one they've just become it is the, is the term unicorn billion dollar plus valuation yeah they are uh australian based and uh, i know quite a lot of the the uk team so um ollie browning um did give me a heads up about this when when this was all kind of going through um but yeah very exciting they seem to have kind of come you know, not quite from nowhere. They've been around for a little while, but they've, you know, certainly this valuation is is massive. Um, but based on the extra um, investment that they've had, um, you know, they really seem to be going places, if uh, if that's not too much of a, a pun. Um, but yeah, again, you know, just underpins the, the money that is flying around this space and the importance of, you know, learning and development and people solutions for organisations going forward. Yeah, and it's um, it seems like a online learning seems like a fairly lucrative and stable space, doesn't it, for the next few months and years? I think you know, judging I think, by, I think, I think content is going to be a very interesting area. You know, there's a lot of debate, obviously, in L and D circles around you know curation versus creation. You know, I think we don't, you know when I first came into <laughs> training and learning, you know, too many years ago to mention, she said, as somebody who, was, who hired somebody who was born in 1995 this week, much to my horror. Wow. But um, the, you know, the kind of the dominance of the bespoke content piece is, is obviously nowhere near once what, what it once was. The proliferation of, of content that's available out there now is, is just, it's just massive. And, you know, you've got people like, obviously, like Cornerstone, really doubling down on their content offering. Well, four years ago, they they weren't in the content space at all. So, you know, the kind of the level of commitment and um, investment, you know, just continues to to grow there. So, uh, you know, I'm not always convinced that just, you know, kind of buying a library is the 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 answer to all your problems, but. Um, if you, you know, Skillsoft's still going, most companies have Skillsoft content somewhere, LinkedIn learning, you know, it's definitely something that organizations feel helps their people and has hopefully helped people through, you know, some tricky times, obviously, in the last 18 months. So, again, it's really positive for the market, really positive for our, for our profession. And, you know, congratulations to everyone at Go One, really. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, we, we rattled through, you know, some fairly big. Uh, stories there just to round up what do you how are you feeling about the uh, future of events 2022 how's it looking 
Well, from an Unleashed point of view, there are plans to bring back live events in 2022. So we never wanted to dilute the Unleashed formula and bring them back, try and bring them back too soon um, in 2021, which I think was the right decision. Um, Unleashed events have always been about the kind of the, the big bang and the production and all of that kind of good stuff and you know, they, there's a real wow factor there. And I, I say that as somebody who attended their events for many years, not as an employee. Obviously, there are, you know, Learning Live is planned to be in person in September from our friends at the LPI. I believe World of Learning is planned for October. I believe there are some user conferences planned in the autumn as well that are, are going to be in person. So it does you know, obviously there are so many variables around it all, but I think the appetite from attendees and sponsors alike is definitely there. People are really keen to get back in a room with each other and compare notes and just, you know, have a a coffee and and all of those good things. Uh, I, I, I hope that very much that that will all happen and everything will move in the right direction. But uh, you know, I know Learning Technologies uh, is planned for February uh, 22 as well. So hopefully we'll be back to some of these, you know, large scale events as well. Although the pandemic will leave its mark in terms of hybrid elements. Certainly at least we're talking about what can we make hybrid and it will never, I think, just be about being there in person again. It's, you know, much the same as the office landscape has changed forever i think it will leave its mark on events as well yeah agreed um but i think i think that's a well not a good thing is that's slightly flippant to say well it, it is a good thing because i think it's oh. it's forced events to um to adapt and, and evolve and and service more people and it's going to bring new scale i think in a lot of ways um so there is a lot to be excited about i mean yeah the the, the events that are going to survive are the ones that, that do kind of service and adapt to everybody. And, uh, but I am really, really excited about seeing people again. And um, that's a good distance, you know. Yeah, <laughs> outside. <laughs> yeah, with plenty of flowing air. Yeah. Cool. Well, Kate, thank you for your insights and your, well, knowledge as well. Someone's got to bring the quality of this podcast up. And, uh <laughs> Well, you know, I am just very excited that we will get to work with each other every day, not just once a month for the podcast anymore. Yeah, me too. And, uh, you know, we've been doing podcasts together for, I think it's around about eight years now. And yeah, I'm really looking forward to it too. More TJ podcasts to come, well, a couple more, and then we'll see. But um, yeah, it's been good. I think Joe is going to do an exit interview for me like I did with her and like I did with Debbie so there's that to look out for as a separate podcast interview pretty soon I'd say fabulous hi TJs I talked to Judy Parfit Chief People Officer at Vitality uh, who recently put a report together in collaboration with the RSA the Royal Society for Arts Manufacturing and Commerce it's called Healthy Hybrid Working and it looks at how people are reacting to the idea of hybrid working uh, how expectations have changed whether workers want to continue working from home and the best way to go about these things so it's a very in-depth report it generated some really interesting results statistics and insights uh, and it was great to talk to Judy about this it's the tip of the iceberg really isn't it but this is a really really good place to start so do enjoy (laughs) 
as it says, hybrid working is an incredibly important topic, which has a lot to say about. So let's dig into a few elements of the, the work that you've been doing. Um, first question is, how have employees' expectations changed since the pandemic? Were you surprised to find more than 80% of workers want to carry on working from home in some form? John, not really. I think there's been a seismic shift in employee expectations as a result of their experiences uh, working from home. Employees have new needs, new hopes, new aspirations, which employers are going to have to take into account, especially now that the talent market is heating up. So our research with the RSA tells us that most employees don't want to work from the office five days a week. That said, many think that their employers still want them to. So there's a potential of a crisis of expectations, I think, um, and uh, the parties will need to find each other. What the research also showed about employee expectations is that uh, health and well-being has become much more important uh, to employees. So no less than 85% said this would influence their future career choices. The majority of employees also said they were more productive working from home and that their mental health benefited from working remotely. That said, homeworking does bring its own challenges. For example, a more sedentary lifestyle uh, is giving rise to MSK, musculoskeletal issues like back and neck pain. And, uh, and I think the other challenge is the blurring of home and work life, leading to this always-on dynamic, which is uh, not sustainable. So, so that's why Vitality partnered with the RSA to research and develop this, uh, this healthy hybrid model. Uh, you touched on it there about musculoskeletal issues. Just under half of remote workers said they've found it easier to manage their mental health and well-being. How to tie this to HR and the role that HR leaders have there, how important is it for HR leaders to focus on health and well-being post-pandemic and um, what benefits can this all bring? Yeah, it's, it's, it's never been more important. Uh, and, and John, I think it's not just HR leaders that need to direct their attention to this, but boards as well, because those companies that don't pay attention to it are going to face talent attraction and retention issues. So what is it that employees are asking for to address their health and well-being needs? They're wanting flexibility, they're wanting a, a work-life balance, uh, and they're wanting a lifestyle and a, a workplace, an employer, that promotes and cares about their physical and mental health. And I think that the imminent lifting of the uh, of lockdown measures and pandemic restrictions presents an incredibly rare opportunity for employers to implement healthy hybrid policies and practices that, uh, that promote employee well-being. And the, the business case 
for doing this is compelling because employees will be healthier and happier and more productive. So the sorts of measures that employers and HR leaders and boards might look to introduce are, for example, uh, allowing employees to manage their working time flexibly, uh, focusing on outputs rather than hours worked, and uh, encouraging employees to go for a walk during working hours or listen to a mindfulness session or broadcasting a yoga, a virtual yoga class for employees. Those are all things that, that we've done um, to really good effect. Secondly, um, introducing mandatory breaks and the right to disconnect. So, for example, at Vitality, uh, we've introduced timeout Tuesdays. And on Tuesday afternoons, there may be no internal meetings or internal emails, which gives an employee uh, an opportunity to focus on something that requires concerted attention or an opportunity to go for a run. Something else that, uh, that companies might do is, uh, is encouraging and equipping and enabling line managers to advocate for and promote uh, employee well-being because they have a pivotal role to play. I think that the, the healthy hybrid model recognizes that well-being and productivity are two sides of the same coin. Uh, and as I said earlier, employees are healthier and happier to the extent that uh, proper attention is paid to their well-being. They are more productive, which benefits the business. But the shared value model delivers benefits for wider society as, uh, as a whole, with a positive impact on the economy and, uh, and a reduced burden on the NHS. So, uh, so compelling reasons to, uh, to introduce a healthy hybrid approach to the new world of work. To, yeah, to widen things out to not just HR leaders, but business leaders as well, like you say. What are the challenges they're likely to face as they come back to hybrid working? And what can they do to combat these? It doesn't have to necessarily be mental health and well-being, mm. but um, all, all, all the, to the total factors that involved. Yeah, and what can they do about these? Yes, uh, and that's such an important question because there are uh, a number of challenges. Uh, one of them, I think, is the risk of creating a two-tier workforce. On the one hand, those uh, whose roles lend themselves to flexible working patterns, and on the other, those that don't, which could create resentment uh, among those employees who are denied flexibility. And paradoxically, in a way, the flip side of the coin presents another challenge, which is out of sight, out of mind. In other words, uh, there's the risk of an unconscious bias developing in favor of employees who are more visible through regular office attendance. So I would encourage employers to think more flexibly about flexible working options. I mean, if you think about it, a year ago, uh, many would have said that contact center roles require um, a, a regular 
uh, office presence. Not anymore. Um, we've, we've seen in the past year and a bit that, uh, that in fact, contact centre workers can be as productive uh, working from home as they can from the office. And then on the, um, the out of sight, out of mind challenge, I think the remedy is for managers to be quite deliberate about nurturing relationships with all team members, regardless of, uh, of where they're working. And with, with both these challenges, uh, employers need to avoid disadvantaging women by default to the extent that they are more likely to be in roles uh, that, uh, that require more of an office presence or to the extent that they are more likely to come into the office less frequently and uh, run the risk of being overlooked. So I've only got one final question and it points to practicalities, I think. What are some of the day-to-day -day things that workers really value in the workplace? And by that, I think, I mean, we, we're looking, obviously going to be looking at the data from the report, but it, it's probably quite important to say that it's not just... They don't have to necessarily be in the workplace to value these things, but the workplace experience, I guess. What, what's the report been telling you here? Yes. Uh, so, so, John, I think it, it boils down, and some of, some of these things were relevant before the pandemic, but their, their relevance uh, has increased uh, post the pandemic. And for me, it comes down to voice and choice. Uh, employees being heard, and employees having a degree of autonomy. And I think that the foundation for both those things is, um, is reciprocated trust. So we know from the Vitality RSA study uh, that 88% of employees want flexibility uh, over where they work. Uh, and, uh, and it's abundantly clear that employers who ignore this will find it more difficult to attract and retain employees. Uh, employees uh, want support in managing their health and well-being uh, through access to programs like the uh, Vitality Program, uh, mental health support, etc. And uh, And employers who get this right uh, I, I have no doubt that uh, they will have a, a competitive advantage. Yes, I absolutely agree. Um, so the report is called Healthy Hybrid Working. Um, it's available to download. Uh, it's, a, it's a collaboration between uh, Vitality, uh, your business, and the RSA. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you, Judy, ever so much for your time. There's so, 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 so much to say on this subject. So thanks for sort of making a start on it. And this is a really good place to start to talk about hybrid working. So thank you. No, it's a pleasure. Thank you for having me, John. So yes, here we are at the content section, as it's now been officially called only four and a half years after we started the TJ podcast. <laughs> um, and of course, uh, we go live to Surrey to speak to Joe Cook of Lightbulb Moment. What's going on? Hello, hello. Lovely to be here again, as always. Uh, just very much looking forward to the year unfolding and all the changes that are happening in the UK and around the world, which probably we shouldn't speak about and we should get to the content, like you say. Yes. Um, 
it's a very busy day. Let's, uh, let's assume everything's fine with you. Everything's fine with me. Let's talk about mm -hmm. some content. First piece is a friend of yours, actually, Jules McMillan. Yes, absolutely lovely lady. She runs Cascade Learning uh, and I've known her for a number of years. We both uh, used to live in the same town until I moved away and she does great work with kind of people managers and all sorts of things. I'm really glad that she's written something for us. Yeah, you forward on her, her um, piece about feedback. Uh, mm. it's, it's a TJ long read, um, which basically means that I looked at it and I was like, I can't split this in two or three. Let's just publish it as one. <laughs> so I've officially called it a TJ long read. Um, and it's about feedback. Uh, yeah, let's talk about feedback is the title of the piece. And she talks about its importance. But also the, the thing I like about this piece is the way it's structured. Um, she sort of kicks off by saying, these are the barriers to giving feedback and they're fairly obvious, but nevertheless, very important. The, the, the old excuses of, oh, I don't have time. What if I upset somebody? You know, people find it awkward. They don't like confrontation. Mm. Everyone's like we've, that, really. We've all had feedback that A, we didn't ask for, quite frankly, and B, was delivered badly. So if we've received that, why would we want to do that to someone else? Well, quite. Um, but she also says that it isn't the job of just line management or um, mm -hmm. upper management. It's everyone's and also the best feedback. And we'll come on to the tips that she gives right at the end of the piece uh, is about creating more of, well, 360 is a slightly dated term, I'd say, in L&D now. What do you think? I think it's got relevance to talk about in the sense of everybody has the, the right or the opportunity to help support the entire team. Um, so that's kind of useful. But it, it's, it's very careful in that kind of how do you give feedback to your manager? Um, and as you say, the tips that Jules shares are, are really good for that. Yes. <clears throat> Managing up, as they call it. Um, mm -hmm. Is that a dated term, John, to throw that back at you? <laughs> oh, okay. We're doing that. You like that, are you? Um, yeah, I'm in that kind of mood today, John. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, I first I only first heard that term probably four or five years ago in a previous job. Did you? Um, oh, you're so behind the times, John. <laughs> I'm so behind the times. But um, but again, it's like it's a semantic issue, the same with 360. It describes something mm. which I think is always going to be yeah. relevant and important. And yep. um, yeah, so she talks about, I mean, what we come down to a lot here is is that uh, it's you put a uh, you, you get into a coaching mindset and that's how you mm. deliver the best feedback um, what and it's about talk? being really specific as well I remember going on a course a number of years ago uh, and they made the point of of saying don't just say to somebody oh you're a star but be specific about that feedback of the way you handled that customer in that moment was excellent because you did blah 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 um but although we sort of in a very british uh sarcastic way um uh, just went around telling everybody you're a star all the time just to kind of take the mickey out of it but the point there is if you don't know specifically what it is you've done that you need to improve or that you've done well how can you repeat or reduce that yeah, um, these are the questions she thinks you should ask your manager, which can give you a, a really good feedback session. What specifically am I doing well? What do you perceive are my greatest strengths? Uh, if there were one thing I could do differently to improve, what would it be? Uh, what would be a good stretch assignment for me? And um, what would you like me to do more or less of? And that last one's a really good way of framing. Because, mm. um, you know, if, you, if you're a first-time manager, a lot of people are. Uh, or a line manager who maybe even with a bit of experience. It's nevertheless something 
when you're asked to give feedback on someone or to do an appraisal or however you do it in your company, that is the worst bit. You're like, well, I need to come up with something that I don't think they're very good at. <laughs> and but, but put it but put it in a way that that makes them empowered to do better and all that sort of thing so maybe yeah. them asking the question to you is actually a really good way of opening it up yeah and there's a really great point that Jules makes later on about how people like to receive that feedback and she talks a bit about introverts extroverts but just that idea of some people really like it face to face some people like it in a conversation some people like it perhaps as an email so they can read it and cogitate and think about it and that could obviously be on teams or a text or a whatsapp message or something so so it's really interesting not only to maybe a ask that question but maybe also for somebody to say how would you like to receive the feedback or would you like mm. feedback or shall I, or shall I just tell you this it's that, that thing about you know if somebody asks a question it's like do you want me to help you or do you want me to want to do that to, to do it for you it's kind of just understanding you know at what level are you, are you looking for something quick or are you looking for a, let's have a three hour deep and meaningful you might need a bottle of wine before at the end you know you need mm. to understand those levels i think yeah, and Jules wraps the piece up really well with some tips at the end to make your feedback count. The first being, mm. be specific, stick to the facts, as you mentioned earlier um, at the top of this, Joe. Uh, be timely. Um, around 80% of our development is done on the job. Um, I didn't link to the research where that backs that statistic up, which is my bad. Um, three, start with the, the aim in mind. Four, tailor it to the individual and five, make it two-way. And the last point there is where she brings in the GROW model for coaching, which is, um, you know, a, a model that's been around for a long, long time, but is probably one of the most popular, I'd say. Mm. Yeah, it's a really good article. As you say, it's a long read, but there's a lot of really good stuff in it on two or three different kind of topics that bring it all together. So thank you very much, Jules, and look forward to a coffee with you soon. Yes, thanks, Jules. Um, you've, you've uncovered a really good writer for me there, Joe. so thank you very much. That's my pleasure. That's what we do. That's what we do. Uh, second piece is from David Buchanan and Steve McCauley. Um, David Buchanan is Emeritus Professor of Organisational Behaviour at Cranfield University. Steve McCauley, long time uh, contributor to TJ. David Buchanan too, but Steve, I think, has been um, contributing for, for a bit longer, is um, an associate at Cranfield Executive uh, Development. He's uh, been a long time contributor for Debbie in the magazine as well. Um, mm -hmm. His piece is called, or their piece is called, Lessons from the, from the Pandemic. Never waste a good crisis. This is another... <laughs> that's a why very british thing isn't it never waste a good crisis <laughs> well exactly why would you yeah um <clears throat> this is another uh, longer read as well um and this is about well what it says really is taking the things we've learned being honest about whether we're going to keep these changes we've made to our working life and preparing for <laughs> a crisis that could well happen again you know let's be honest yeah yeah, I think that that's what a lot of I've been reading about is, you know, this, not this coronavirus, but something like this that impacts the whole globe will happen again because of the way that our communications, our interactions, our travel, everything's so interlinked. You know, you think of a virus on a computer and how quickly that goes through a, a network or, a, or the internet. Um, you know, this is just the, the physical form of that. Um, so I think big bearing in mind that we've got you know something that I expect the unexpected is it's maybe quite challenging to think about 
But maybe another way to think about it is, well, we survived this one, most of us, to some extent, in, in terms of business. Um, and we've been through it. And as we go through the article, we've made all of these changes. So actually, we're in a much stronger situation and readiness for something that might come along in next year or five years or 10 years or 20 years. Yeah, exactly. I mean... We have, we've all learned a lot, haven't we? I think, or I'd like mm. to hope. I mean, I love this piece. I'll even forgive them using the term new normal. Um, <laughs> well, you published it. You could have edited it. <laughs> well, I mean... You could have provided them some timely feedback specific about the terminology that you would prefer them to use. Well, some people just, some people just, just go with it. And uh, I haven't got enough time for, for proper editing. <laughs> so and I suppose, you know, you don't want to upset them and hopefully it will get better as per Jules's article. As, and as per her article, she says, uh, it never does. Bad behaviour um, stays the same unless you address it. Um, that's true. Anyway. Well, I mean, bad behaviour, that's a little bit strong. Anyway, the phrase new normal. I'll let it go, Steve. I promise. Um, <laughs> the key quote that I like from this, that I pulled out from this piece was about the work redesign section. Mm -hmm. um, again, I, like, I love the way this piece is laid out and not the way I laid it out, the way he wrote it or the way they wrote it, um, which is, um, talking about key aims, you know, you, this is the five dimensions of future possibilities of how we can get through this, you know, use the positives of this crisis in the future. And this is what's going to change um, the speed of evolution, increasing productivity. But I'm going to focus on work redesign. And the key aim of this is promoting flexibility. Mm. Um, a, a term that uh, sort of caught my eye was WFA. So obviously everyone's familiar with W. WFH working from home but working mm -hmm. from anywhere um, is interesting we could see even more than just people deciding to work from home two days a week in the office three days at home people working from anywhere how do you feel about that well, I've got my tickets to the Bahamas booked already um, no I think it's Lucky an interesting point <laughs> when when my dad uh, moved into his uh, flat his retirement flat one of the key things we wanted as kids was that he had good internet so that if for whatever reason we needed to be with him we could all work from from his home from anywhere uh, and in the past you know you've worked from uh, cafes and things like that haven't locally haven't you just for a change of scenery mm -hmm. and stuff um, so so yeah, I mean, that's part of the flexibility, but they do make a really good point in the article that only 20 to 25% of employees have jobs they can do from home and everyone else has to turn up. So, so we really have to make sure we have that balance of it's only a certain industries or types of roles that can do that. And a lot of roles can't. Yeah, no, completely. I mean, this, all, all this uh, job flexibility in terms of where you can work from is definitely skewed towards white collar workers. And, it, and it's very important that we remember that. Um, but he does offer some, uh, well, describes a, a few things that people who can't, who have to go into work um, can do and the changes that have been made in terms of uh, one way systems, workplace density, um, this kind of thing. But yeah, it's a very good point. Uh, he says social distancing may be required for some time with new workplace layouts and one-way flows to limit close contacts. Mm. How can you develop these new approaches to work to maintain or increase flexibility and morale? I think this is the point at which I have to bring in that back to the future quote of you are my density uh, about <laughs> all of this flexibility and change. Uh, and a lot of organisations are doing this really well and putting a lot of effort into it. But we all know some organisations 
aren't for a variety of reasons or they're overwhelmed by it. And there are some organisations that quite frankly, the people just aren't putting the effort in, don't care, want to go, go back to the previous normal. Um, and, and maybe that's, they're the kind of people that should be reading this article and thinking differently because happy people equals profits, quite frankly. I'm sure there must be some research about that somewhere I've read. Um, it just makes everything a little bit easier and happier, but hopefully we'll, we'll get a little bit more of that uh, for everybody. And I, I just like this idea of crisis as a springboard. It's like, it's, it's been horrible. There's been loads of horrible stuff that's happened. What's the silver lining? What can we keep? What can we adapt? Uh, and what can we move forward? On to our final piece. This is called Introducing the Changemaker, the next gen leader of the new work ecosystem. There's, um, this, is, this is by Ashwini Bakshi, who's managing director uh, of the Project Management Institute uh, of, for Europe and Sub-Saharan Africa at the Project Management Institute. It's a rather, um, it's a rather wordy title, but uh, it makes some good points. And that is that uh, the new leaders are going to have to combine human skills, business acumen and adaptability. Uh, I think that's very Have important. Have they not always had to do that? Well, you can you could say that to a degree, but I think it, like even more so, I think the, 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 the businesses that are going to survive are going to be led by people who can properly adapt. I don't think all, mm -hmm. I know, I don't think all leaders have, to be honest with you. Um, okay. you've, you've seen businesses go to the wall mm. over the decades because of that. Um, I, the, the main thing I like about the, this piece, and I think it's, a, I, I, want, I don't know if it's going to catch on. I would love it to catch on. Would be that he's he is trying to or is suggesting that soft skills be recast as power skills. I've heard that in a couple of places. Have you? I have, and I like the idea of it because they are they are very powerful skills. Um, there was a, I'm sure it was on a, a learning and skills webinar recently where Don Taylor asked the question of you know do you use soft skills or do you use another term and quite a few of us me included say well I use the term soft skills because it's one of those things that most people know and understand much like in in my work I prefer live online learning to virtual classroom but most people understand what virtual classroom is so you go with it um, but I think the idea of power or powerful skills is is quite a good one uh, in a previous job <clears throat> across the Rubicon I uh, I tried to describe soft skills as behavioral skills um mm -hmm. that was how we wanted to describe them um the disadvantages with of that was was, was more the character length on certain things so <laughs> um, you know it, it soft skills is it's 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 tidy it's succinct uh it's great for creating uh snappy headlines be yeah. it on, in copy on it alliterates articles. i mean what more could you want <laughs> exactly and also in social posts but i i think power skills is it's a really interesting thing because the skills he describes, you know, collaborative leadership, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, empathy, those are the things he thinks should be recast as power skills. And those are things which all leaders, all managers, all people at all levels who aspire to inspiring people should have. And they are yeah. classically the sort of things that you would, would have said are soft skills or do say are soft skills because I think the simple fact of it is that they can't be measured yeah. um, in the same way as hard skills, you know, data-led or mm. whatever. Um, but it's a good piece. And I know what you mean. There, there is an element of it saying that it's kind of always been like this. And I just think it's kind of a sort of promoting the evolution 
of mm. new leaders really I, I think it's the the point is that everybody should have always had those skills but in times past whether that's two years ago because things have changed a lot recently or 20 or 30 or 40 years ago I think some of those strengths and skills weren't needed as much I think you know you always needed to be adaptable think back to World War II and how you might have needed to adapt your business or adapt the work that you do and, and everything that's happened in between but I think the adaptability flexibility agility whatever word you want to use and they you could argue those mean different things um I think that's becoming much more prevalent because the speed of change is happening so much and the change isn't just one thing. Um, if we think about the change we've been through recently, it's the, the working environment, it's the supply chain, it's the movement of people, it's uh, the technology, absolutely everything had a, an element of change in the last 18 months, two years, as opposed to previously it might have been one element of change or two elements of change that people were coping with. So I think that's why it's about, it's more important rather than it's uh, not always been there. Yeah. Um, there were two other pieces that I could have picked out for this one, but I think the ones we've settled on here kind of have a nice spread of looking forward, you know, mm -hmm. um, looking at what we've done, the, the, the feedback piece particularly, I think is, um, it's, it's, it's an important skill for yeah. line managers to, to, to really get right. And line managers are a, a group of people that I think are underserved and we want to, to uh, publish content that really, really helps them in their jobs. Yep. And to are kind of really, you know, good at looking forward in, in uh, how leaders should carry themselves, I think. Um, so, yeah. so Joe, thank you again for your time and your insight and, you know, all the stories we can't tell on the recording. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. I know what you're talking about. Uh, well, thank you very much, for, as always, for inviting me. It's always great to, to look at this lovely TJ content. And that's it for another month. What's coming up next month, John? Well, Joe, I'm glad you asked. Let's have a look. Um, <laughs> when you say glad you asked, do you mean you always forget this bit until I say that? <laughs> no, I, I was waiting for the prompt, but you did it. It's fine. Oh, um, okay. Um, well I'd like to feed back that you're being much better at this <laughs> thanks um, what have we got um, oh okay so we've got the third part of our three-part podcast discussion with Thinky the digital learning experts that was really good I really enjoyed that I published part one this week um, that's mid-July if you're for posterity uh, the key to effective training we've got a couple of book excerpts one about the inner ceo uh, the other one i haven't written down the details for um, a piece about uh, diversity and inclusion we've got a piece about well-being technology uh, we've also got a piece about uh, stop making racist technology so some interesting Ooh. stuff yeah looking up. forward to all of that for sure um, okay that's uh, that is the july podcast we will see you Fantastic. Bye, everyone. The TJ Podcast is hosted by John Kennard, Joe Cook and Kate Graham. It's produced by me, John Kennard, and mixed and edited by Digital Skills People. Title music is by The Ledger All Stars featuring Yolanda. The sponsorship music is by Audio Nautics and is used under a Creative Commons license. TJ is a publishing title owned by Dodds Group PLC.